Open your Bibles to Malachi. Chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 13 uh, through 16 this morning. As we continue our look into uh, this minor prophet, the last book of the Old Testament, uh, and what is happening. And, and hopefully as we've been going through this, you're learning some, some, I think, some very profound parallels into what is happening in the church today. Last week I talked about you know, God's plan for marriage, and um, verses 10 through 12 really deal with, with your selection of a maid, if you will, right? And pursuing uh, someone who is a believer, right? It begins by understanding that in God's eyes, marriage is a covenant. It's something very serious to Him. And that's going to be picked up again in, in the verses following. Um, but we do see how, how it's, it's very near and dear to the Lord's heart. It's something God loves, right? And we should take note of things in Scripture when, when God loves something, right? And it's very dear to Him. He delights in something. We should take note of that. I always found it interesting when there's moments when Jesus was astonished, right? In the New Testament, two times He was astonished. And once was at the lack of faith, right, from His hometown. And once was He was overcome by the amount of faith, right, from a Roman centurion. That's just very interesting, right? You look at the Gospels, twice Jesus was astonished, one for the lack of. And so you want to make note of these things. We come to this passage and we see that God, He loves marriage. It's a holy institution. It's something that He has designed. We jump back to the, you know, the second chapter of Genesis, the second chapter of the Bible, and we see how important it is to God, right? He begins by creating and Puts the man to sleep. He takes a rib from him. This is Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2. And he fashions that rib into Eve. And, and uh, Adam names her, right? This is woman. She was taken from me. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And in essence, God brings the rib back to Adam, right? They become one. We're going to see that idea played out in this passage. You know, because the, this morning, as, as last week we talked about, you know, marriage is a covenant Marriage is for believers to, to find, not to be unequally yoked. And marriage is to, to be a testimony, right? It's a living illustration of Christ and His church. And it's very, as I said, near and dear to God. He wants us to have a marriage. It doesn't expect us to be perfect, but pursuing that, growing in our purity, growing in our holiness, right? Growing in our righteousness and not being stagnant or stale or stuck. Sometimes we get stuck. Right? And that's why we need other believers in the body to give us a swift kick in Jesus' name, right? Get us going forward. So we see that's very important. So the message today, focusing on these verses, is just simply titled it God and Divorce. And within these, these verses, uh, these what, four or seven verses here, we see you know, two things. One that God loves, God loves marriage. And yet we also see something that God hates. Right? He hates divorce. But why is that? Because we want to jump into to this passage. We want to examine what is happening in context. And, and the way I've shaped my points this morning is I'm, I'm trying to bring these things out and, and, and to just put them into our lap as a New Testament church and say, this is what I believe we should grab hold of, apply to our lives, and move forward. Right? I think that's what we should do. We should do. Uh, but it's quite interesting because in, in the passage and what is happening, we have these priests who who are just going through the motions, right? They're just kind of, they're worshiping on their terms. They're defining worship on their own ways, and they have these questions, right? When God comes down and says, you've defiled my worship, and they're kind of going, you know, scratching their head, going, what way have we defiled this? 
All right, and God responds and says it would be better if you just shut the doors to the whole place and scatter the sheep, if you will, right? And just end it. It's better if you do that than to continue offering a sacrifice on my altar in vain. And it's amazing. I think that's a tremendous insight for the church today. How many times do we come and we define worship on our own terms? God will be glorified because I say this is the way we should go about it. Now I know there's decisions to be made in coming to church and we can go to Scripture. But Scripture should always be the foundation, right? It should always be the thing to say, how does God want us to do this? And that is what has been lacking, right, from all of these priests. They should know better. They have the law. God has given them how this is how I want you to go about it. And they have been set in, in, in in a sense, have just kind of cast that aside, if you will. If you take that metaphor, cast it aside. So therefore, God feels what? That they have taken him and cast him aside. He's not that important. We're going to go about it our own way. And God really, you know, Malachi really reveals their heart when he says it's a nuisance. That's how these priests feel about it. We come to these moments, it's kind of a nuisance, and they sneer at it. Right? Oh, I'm going to go do this again. Didn't we just kill the animal? Didn't we just have a sacrifice? Oh. Didn't we just have a Sunday? Wasn't he just preaching on this? All right, I added that one in there. See how I did that? <laughs> but that's what's happening. And it's important as we come to this passage, and because many of us may have struggled, many of us have, have had a divorce, and may, many of us may feel the weight of that and say, well, what, is, what does that mean? Does God love me? Does God reject me? And you have to look at, <clears throat> excuse me, what is happening here is clearly these these men are casting aside, taking that metaphor, and they're casting aside uh, their wives and pursue as Judah, right? Pursued a daughter of a, of a pagan god, right? And so there's this idea that it's happening is that they desire someone else. We don't want the covenant. We don't want these things. It shouldn't be that big of a deal to God, right? We're casting aside and what we want to pursue this. And so the idea, the implication in context is they're pursuing idolatry, right? Something else, some other god. And God comes, and there's not, you know, in reasons, and we'll talk about in Scripture what the Scripture, the New Testament church gives us in regards to that. We'll talk about it here in a moment. But here we want to see that, that just what they're doing and why this is so near and dear to God is they're simply casting the law, casting their companion, casting their wife aside. Therefore, they're casting God aside, and they're going about the way they want it, how they want to live their lives. They have become, in essence, the, the final authority. That's what's happening. And so God is coming with, with harsh words now. Right? Malachi is, is not holding any punches. Right? He's not saying, well, God, you know, in this one, no, he hates this. Right? That's where we're at. And, and we kind of get the full weight of that. And I think it's important for us as, as we get into this, into this passage that we do take the full weight of what God is saying. Um, take it for what it is. Learn something about God's character. But we also want to, at the same time, realize that God has grace, doesn't he, for us. It's a God of compassion. It's a God of love. And so for us this morning, if you've been in this, if you've gone through a divorce and, and, and maybe you're struggling or maybe you're even thinking about that this morning, I pray you would hear the words, right? Hear the words of God's, God's truth here for us. It's a real challenge he sets before us because we learn something. It's, it's not just about saying what's best for me. I want to break this marriage. This does not working. You have to realize how God looks at this. God looks at this is that you're casting him, right? That's what's happening here. I know there's, there's, there's uh, uh, different circumstances and it takes two to have a marriage. I, I understand. We'll talk about that in a moment. But that's why it's dear to God, right? If you think of before God created the world, right? Before he thought of, of any of this, if you will, 
uh, there was the Trinity. There was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they had communion, right, with each other. They were one. Uh, and they enjoyed that oneness and connecting, right, with, with before any of this took place. He's not the God of, of Islam. Islam is a monad. He's one, right? Just a singular, but yet God is a trinity. And he enjoys the fellowship, the oneness with each other. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Before he created, this is who he is. And at the very beginning of the Bible, what does he do? He creates a male and female. In the beginning, God created the male and female. That solves all our pronoun problems, right? It solves all the sexual confusion of our day. Here it is. There's only two. There's male and female. This is how God has done it. And yet he creates them that they might be one. Isn't it interesting when Jesus prays for the church, what does he pray? Lord, that, that the church might experience oneness as you and I are one, right? And we're going to see that resonate out of this passage. God desires something. So as we look at these things, it's not just about the circumstances in a marriage. It's about the spiritual component and what we're saying and what we're doing to God. God desires that your marriage reflect good, bad, ugly, sad, right? As we live our lives, as we live and we call sin, sin, and we turn to repentance, all these things that resonate through, through our lives that we deal with as believers. God says this, this is the shine, right? In Ephesians 5, Christ and his church. Right? He has a purpose. He has a plan. And so often we're quick like these priests to say, well, it's, it's what's best for me. Now, I don't want anyone to think, if that's you, if you've been in that boat, that I'm pointing fingers. It's not my, my intent. Intent is to preach God's word, feel the weight of it, and realize that even in this, right? And we're going to learn other things, right? We'll all cite some scripture. Other things that God hates, right? That probably pertains to every single one of us at one point in time. So hear God's grace, hear His mercy. This is the passage. Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 13 through 16, he says, And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So He does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirits? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirits. Let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers. Why does he hate it? For it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirits that you do not deal treacherously. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time, for it is a time you've ordained for us to assemble to worship you, to use the very breath in our lives to praise you, to sing of your glory, to sing of your creation, to sing of the gospel. I thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that our attitude and our attention would be fixed upon you, upon your word, and that, Lord, we would receive what you have for us today. You would open our minds and allow us to comprehend and to understand and to apply. And that, Lord, you allow me to get out of the way that all attention and focus would be upon you and you alone that you would receive the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So we have this passage here this morning, right? We have uh, God just saying some hard Malachi, right? God through Malachi saying some, some harsh, I think, some very harsh and direct words. And in, and in you know, looking at this, and, and I'll be honest with you, church, you know, working over these passages and trying to bring some of these things out. So what do we take? What do we grab hold of and say we need to be having this in our life? Because you know, we're dealing with some priests who are, are completely uh, jumping off the tracks, if you will, right? They're just not, not going about it. And so there's, there's things we can grab and say, this is what I believe, right? We, each and every one of us, need to be having in our lives because this does affect every single one of us. Whether you've, you're not married, you're married, you're, you're, you're wherever you're at in life, right? This has impact upon you. And so as, as the first point, I kind of looked at verse 13 and said, what, is, you know, what does God desire? And I just put this word, God desires in this, and I'm talking in a positive sense, right? God desires obedience. I think that's the thing that resonates to the top of this verse. And he says, and this is the second thing you do. This is verse 13, right? The second thing you do, the first thing was you, you haven't looked upon marriage as a covenant. You haven't been seeking other Israelites, right? Today we would say other believers in your marriage. You haven't been using your marriage as a, as a testimony. That's the first thing he had. So here is the second in regards to marriage. He says, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. I think this is a very profound verse, honestly, with what is happening. I think this is a huge lesson for the church. And there are some commentators who come and say, well, this is the wives he's cast it aside. But I don't think that's what's happening. I think it's the men coming and, and crying out and praying, right, Lord? And, and it's not forgiveness. It's more about crying and praying. Why isn't the Lord listening? It's not a desire to actually change here. I don't think that's what's happening. We picked out the ideas there is in verse 14. You know, you say, for what reason? Why will the Lord not listen to them? Isn't that just kind of consistent with the passage, isn't it? Lord says it's better to shut the doors, dis disband and, and call it a day. Don't offer any more sacrifice. Here's the same thing. As, as they're hearing this, there is a, there's a brokenness, but it's not over the sin per se. Right? It's over why, why isn't God listening? Isn't, isn't that kind of something we, we struggle with? I'm going to live my, my life my way. I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to go about it my way. And then when the Lord doesn't listen, I get upset at the Lord. Why aren't you listening to me? That's a big ending. I think that's a huge lesson. We should take a moment and kind of go, man, where am I? So there should be some assessments there. Where is my worship? And that's an interesting question we can pose, isn't it? When I've asked this question before. When does a church cease to be a church? Well, we could say, when does God cease to accept our worship? I mean, that should resonate in us and go, wow, we need to come and hear and say, well, let's, let's look at, right? Look at a marriage, look at our relationships, look at all these things through God's eyes. And what is, what is happening in the passage? God is treating this like they're abandoning him, right? That's what they're doing. So clearly he looks at marriage as very important because it represents the oneness, right? You and your spouse represent oneness, community, right? Communion with God. It's a visual representation of Christ and His church. It's important and near and dear to God. Even in our, our most broken times, right? We may feel like there's times I love my spouse and there's times maybe I think uh, my spouse is trying to kill me. I don't know, right? We may have those moments. But yeah, even in those times when we turn and we say, God, in this, even in this, God, help me. 
It shines, even repentance shines God's glory because it shines His desire to forgive His children, doesn't it? Isn't the gospel full of His love and grace? So we see the weeping of these men. It's not over per se what is, what is the sin, but it's, it's, it's weeping over why isn't God paying attention to us? I think that's a huge lesson. Gone through the motions, they've, they've done all these things, and they can't quite figure out why isn't the Lord pleased? And how often do we just go through the motions? And so when we say this, you know, God desires obedience, what I mean by that is God desires obedience, the right motivation. Because here in our text, what are they doing? They're, they're doing all the right things. I don't know why he's displeased with us. And so our, our, our obedience has to be rooted in a conviction of this is what Scripture says. We're going to follow this. And clearly they have, they have abandoned the law. They have abandoned the word. They have, they have misunderstood or not even taken the time to listen to what the law says about marriage, what it says about uh, our wives, what it says about being a husband, what it says about sacrifice, what it says about worship. All of this has been thrown to the side. And so often, I think, in our, our society, we have this, this way of saying, well, God is full of grace. Well, let's just do it our way. He'll love us. In one sense, I would say, yeah, God does. He does love. God also has the right to tell us how He wants things done. So I think here in this passage, you know, God's people, at least at this point, hadn't learned the lesson that religious activity in itself, right, just going through the motions, cannot please God. I pulled this passage from Amos chapter 5, verse 21 through 24, where it says, the Lord is speaking through Amos the prophet. He says, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But here's the contrast. What does God desire? God desires justice. Let it run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Right? What does God desire? God desires justice. He desires righteousness. He desires mercy. Micah 6.8, we see those words, right? Walk humbly with God. This is what He desires. Religious activity is useless if it is used as a substitute for obedience. Obedience must have the right motivation. God desires obedience. I was thinking about this, and I, I posed this question, why is obedience better than sacrifice? And I thought of the illustration of of, of Saul, the first king of Israel. He was told by Samuel, right, the first, really the first prophet of God, if you will, and, and he came and he told Saul, the first king of Israel, here's what you want to do. God has commanded that you would go to the uh, Amalekite king Agag and, and, and destroy him, that you would wipe him out and kill them all. And he tells them to kill even the livestock. This is 1 Samuel 15, Right? And so we pick this up, and I'll read this passage of this. It'll be on the screen. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 20 and 21. So, so Saul says, right? Uh, Saul says to Samuel, but I have obeyed. Because Samuel comes to him and goes, you know, I hear uh, animals. Right? I, what's going on here? Samuel arrives on the scene, and, and this is what Saul's answer is to him. He says, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And I, and I brought back Agag, king of, of, Amal of Amal Amalek. Excuse me, and have utterly destroyed the Malachites, but the people took of the plunder. 
sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Right? So, so Samuel is saying, look, you're to go and do this simple, obedient thing. Wipe them all out, right? Here's what I do. There's a pagan component. Because if they interact with these people, what do the Israelites always do? They compromise. They quickly turn away from, from the God of Israel, the God of Scripture, and they turn to the Baals. And so God says, you know what? You're going to take them all out. So this is what Saul tells Samuel. No, 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 no. No, wait. I, I, I did it. Yes, there's some livestock, but we're going to sacrifice those, the people, right? So here's, here's Samuel, his, his answer. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Has the Lord, right? Has the Lord um, as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. If he goes on to verse 23, he says, For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness. It's talking about rebellion. Isn't this what the priests are doing? We're going about our own way. We would call that, right? Would we use that word rebellion? Would we say that of the church today? That if we come in and worship outside of Scripture, would we call that rebellion? Samuel clearly would. He says, For rebellion is a, a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness, is an iniquity and idolatry. I mean, these are words I don't know if we would use. They're harsh is why. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. That's where Saul loses his kingship, right? And then we know that's going to David, and then there's a whole other story if you're familiar with it. But here's Saul's confession. After all this is said to him, this is verse 24. He says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. And your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. He admits it. And we see, isn't this, this kind of what's happening in Malachi's day? There's a, there's a tendency that people don't necessarily want this. It's a nuisance. It's a sneer. We have to go through the motions. And I'm sure as, as parents, you've heard the kids, we have to go to church today, right? And, and that struggle. And maybe you felt that in your own spirit. And yet there, there is a command of Scripture that we would come and that we would make right, that we would lay down, right? Our, our, our sacrifice and make it right with the Lord. And we'll look at the, the answer just out of disobedience. Looking at these priests and what they're teaching and what they're doing, they're casting God aside, casting their wives aside, casting all this that they might pursue what they want. And pursue maybe a, a daughter of a foreign uh, god, right? A deity, a pagan deity. And we learn that disobedience is an act of rebellion. Disobedience, an act of rebellion is what we see out of these, these verses. Disobedience is sinful. It's a form of idolatry. It disrespects God's word. It's based, and this I would imagine we'd all agree with, it's based on looking good to other people rather than to God. You know, why is God not listening? Why are they broken? They're pouring out in tears and weeping. It's not being, I, I guarantee you, if there was brokenness over sin, God would be listening. A broken and contrite spirit he will not deny. Psalms 51. But here that is not what is happening. Why is he not listening? Why is he not listening? You know, Jesus did this in, in Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount. He talked to those religious leaders, right? They fasted really well. They did the public prayers. They prayed really good. Right? All the people that, man, they're top notch. They gave to those in need. 
And yet Jesus goes on and says, you're whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, right? They're dead on the inside. I believe the Lord wants us to be obedient. I mean, that needs to set the tone, right? As we look at marriage, as we look at divorce, if you're here this morning and that, that word is, is floating through your mind, you need to let it float on out the other side. You know, in premarital counseling, I always challenge and say that should be never be a word you should commit right now. That that word, if it ever sticks in your head, you throw it out as fast as you can. That you'll be committed. There is a reason. I always tell these young couples, there is a reason you got down. I tell the men, right? There's a reason you got down on your knee. There's a reason that you said, marry me. Will you marry me? And there's a reason that woman said yes. And you need to remember that reason. So when that day comes, when when one of you is hiding under the bed and right from fear of the other, I don't know how that will play out, but right when there's this struggle is happening, you remember. Right, God takes this seriously, and He tells us that in the next passage. Right, so I see it for us. What do every single one of us need to be doing? We need to have a sincerity and a right motivation and the right obedience to God's word, and we need to hear it, the full weight of it. Right, that He would be the Potter and shape us. How important is that for us so that's my first point right as we come to this we should have obedience with the right motivation don't just go through the motions and that's something we see over and over not only in this passage we see it over throughout scripture right that our lips praise him but our hearts are far from them let us praise him from our hearts and so my second point in verses 14 through 15 i just use god seeks harmony and i'm i'm there's reasons I use this word, and it's just encompassing all the things that are happening in, the, in these verses. And it says in verse 14 and 15, Yet you say, right, if God's not listening, yet you say, for what reason? And here's the answer. Why is God not listening? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Right? We get the idea that it's just haphazardly. I'm, just, I'm done with this. Move on to something else, right? Dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Verse 15, but he did not make them, right? Excuse me, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, right, take heed to your spirit. Let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. So here's the reason. Why is God not listening? It's because He has been a witness. I use this word harmony because there's, there's, there's things jumping out of these, these two verses that should resonate in us. God is a witness. We come back to this idea of covenant. We talked about it last week. Marriage is a covenant. God is a part of it. We usually always say, well, I always say, right, when we do a marriage is that we are in front of God and these witnesses, right? God is well, and it's important. As we begin it, He is here, right? And He keeps, He expects you to keep your pledges, your vows, so it's very important. So we see that, that God is a witness to this. And they emphasize, right? Malachi says three times, he, he stresses this, right? The, that you are dealing treacherously with who? The wife of your youth, your companion, your wife by covenant, right? He says, look, this is three, right? To, to emphasize, this is the beginning. It is a covenant and you are just casting aside what God has taken and made you one. Proverbs 5, 18, when Solomon says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Who finds a wife finds a good thing, right? In our society, in our microwave society, it just says, well, let's go, what's the next thing? Let's just cast it aside. No, 
How important is that for the church? Because God says they are to be, again, one, right? Companion implies harmony, working together to achieve life's goals, sharing in all the hardships and the pains and the joys and harmony. He goes on to tell us why did God make Adam and Eve and why is he stressing this? And he tells us right in the passage he expects godly offspring expects that we would raise godly children. I think it's very important to note that he says in verse 15 and 16 as well that we should take heed to our spirit. Right? Divorce, when divorce comes, I've never met someone who, who wasn't hurt deeply by that. And for maybe many of you who've, who've gone through that, you know, yeah, there is pain. There is sorrow. And we may put on the facade and think, oh no, I was, I was this or that, even if it's, if it's Uh, not your fault, or whatever the circumstance may be, there is pain. So God says two times, take heed. Take heed to your spirit. You are are affected by this. But also, if we take that, realize that that God is affected by this. Right? This witness, God the covenant, God in the middle of it, God is one. Jesus praying, make them one. We'll be one all together. And when this is broken, they suffer. We suffer. God suffers. God is broken over this. God does not want His children to suffer, right? So it's important, right? And I think it's, it's, a, it's well worth pointing out that your home life has bearing on the rest of your life, doesn't it? Here in Malachi's day, we see these men crying out in the temple, and what does the Lord do? He points them right back to their homes. They've come to the temple to worship. They're pouring out their lives. God's not listening, but what does He do? I've been a witness. This is what you're doing in your home. Right? The Lord who sees in secret. I think that's very important for us. We understand this. So often in life, we can be focused on our own goals, our own initiatives, good or bad. I mean, that's how it is. And, And sometimes the families suffer for that. Sometimes our spouses suffer for that. Right? Sometimes children suffer for that. Well, we had to get the next, the next career, the next thing. There's a story of, of two boats. They were uh, steamboats, or paddle boats, rather, and they left Memphis about the same time. They were traveling down the Mississippi River to New Orleans. And as they traveled side by side, the, the vessels, the, the crew of each vessel began to challenge the other on the other po- opposing boat. And so the challenges were made, and, and the race began. This is naturally. Anytime, right, there's two boats, two cars, two something. We're going to race something, right? I think that's Seems right, right? So the competition became vicious. The two boats roared through the deep south, and one of the boats began to fall behind. There was not enough fuel. So one of the, the sailors on the boat, he began to take some of the, the ship's cargo, and he tossed it into the ovens. And when the sailors realized, hey, the supplies on our boat burn really well, they began to catch up. As they burned their cargo, they began to actually pass the other boat. And they actually begin, and they're right, of course, it's a race. They won the race. But to their amazement, which shouldn't have been an amazement, when they arrived, they had no cargo, right? They burned it all. I think sometimes in life, it's, it's like that. We get so focused on us, right? Our marriages can suffer. And again, it takes two to have a marriage. It takes two to be committed. When Paul talks about Ephesians 5, there are two. Right? The husband is to sacrificially love. 
The wife is to willingly submit. That works together. And he says, this is this wonderful, profound mystery. But I talk of Christ and his church. Christ has sacrificially loved. Our responsibility as followers of Christ is to willingly submit. Right? And God has grace and mercy for us. So I, I believe those, those verses speak you know, of the harmony. Right? How important is harmony with our families, harmony in our life, harmony in our worship, coming to God. And the last one I just quickly said, this is what he says in verse 16, and I just listed it. God hates divorce. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence. There we see the brokenness, don't we? The hardship, the hurts, the pain. Says the Lord of hosts, therefore take heed, once again, take heed to your spirits, that you do not deal treacherously. You know, I, I contemplate it. Here it is. It's just Scripture. And I, I thought, man, this sounds so, so harsh when we begin to understand what is actually happening in the passage. That they are, in fact, what is happening, they are casting God aside along with His law, along with the wife of their youth, along with the wife of their covenant, even though God was a witness. They, they, you know, they're going to trade it in on, on a new model or, or a pagan, right? That's, that's the idea. They're going to go and, and seek another God, a form of idolatry. And and I, that's why I wanted the full weight of this to just resonate with us. I think it's, it's, it's God's word, and we need to come and say this breaks God's heart. He despises, he loathes divorce. Yet we live in a broken world. And I think it's equally as important to understand that uh, even though you might have gone through a divorce or been divorced, God does not hate those who are divorced. Sometimes we take that and say, well, if I've gone through this, therefore I'm the waiting, if I'm guilty or not guilty, or whatever the circumstance may be, we think God has projected that upon me. You know, God hates divorce because there's hardship, there's brokenness, and there's broken fellowship with the Lord. I think it's very much important to realize that God does not hate divorced people. The Lord says, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously and here we have the problem of unfaithfulness. And we live in an age, right, where people seek to excuse their unfaithfulness on the basis of their circumstance. It just didn't work out anymore. I've heard of pastors sharing. I've never had this said to me, but you know, the Lord told me that, that I needed to divorce my, my spouse. I can guarantee you the Lord did not tell you that. Now, there's, there's situations where maybe that is the right thing to do in, in, in terms of, of um, spousal abuse. And there's other things. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking in general sense. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. You know, our hearts need to be right. We need to have a, an attitude of repentance, right? And it's not just in the fact of repenting. Well, I've repented. No, it's repenting to God towards God. It's having a love for God and loving Him more. It's about being committed to God and saying, in this, in this marriage, and it might be a difficult one, that you would say, Lord, I want to be faithful and I want to press on and I want to honor You with my life. You are more important to me than me having my own way in this. I'm going to trust You. And we're not talking about you know, situations of marriage where there's unsafety. We're not talking about that, but in general sense, 
I believe we all trust and know that God wants to be glorified in our homes. I believe we all understand that God wants husbands and wives to be faithful to each other. I believe God wants us, and I think we understand this, that God expects us to have Christian kindness and a Christian ethic in our, in our dealings in life and in our home life, in our public life, in our private life, and I think He wants us to raise godly trust. I think we all know that. I think a big part of that is, is we're trying to do these things and living in a world that ridicules those things. And the world says, you know what, if you go to work and talk to a, co- a co-worker who's not saved and they say, you know what, you just, you know, trade her in on the new model or get rid of that guy. He's a, he's a no good whatever. That's not the counsel we should be seeking. I think it's important that, that we not allow the world to come and dictate to us. Allow God's word to speak. I also think it's important that we realize, you know, divorce is not the only thing God hates. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, Six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. I think it's important we take heed to our spirit. Christian, take heed to your spirit. Approach these things with a scriptural, right? Uh, a paradigm, a scriptural foundation. Apply God's word to what is going. Seek, right? Counsel and wisdom. Apply God's truth to what is, what is happening in your life, to your marriage, and so on and so forth. And I understand, you know, coming to the New Testament, we are a New Testament church. God does not forbid all divorce. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, Paul was teaching, you know, the, the early church was being formed and you had people who were already married. And when, when Christ was preached, one spouse might come and say, I believe in Christ, and the other one may not have come to believe. And so, so Paul says, look, if the one unbelieving spouse is, 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 desires to abandon the marriage because you're a believer, that's okay. He gives a certificate of divorce for that. But then he goes on and he tells the believer, if your spouse who's a non-believer stays... You have a responsibility to stay. Who knows, that, that, that person might come to know the Lord because of you. We also see in, in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus talks about adultery. Well, that's breaking the covenant, isn't it? You've sought uh, uh, oneness in someone else. You've left the covenant. You've already abandoned the covenant. So Jesus gives license for that as a New Testament church. This is what we see in Scripture. And I realize the church has not always been the place for, for to come and to, to receive counsel. And sometimes we feel more judgment than grace and mercy and forgiveness. Sometimes we just need to be patient, but we would definitely want to see marriages honored. We want to see Christ honored. I know at times, again, it takes two to have a marriage, to which we always want to say God has mercy, God has grace, God has forgiveness. And a godly marriage takes two. So here this morning as we close, I'd like to just challenge those who, who are not married yet, you college kids. It's important. God takes marriage very important. It is a covenant, and He expects you to fulfill that pledge. And so be very patient in ru- rushing into that. Be very aware and, and soberly look at the one you are choosing to be a wife, the one that maybe you're saying yes to. Take, right? Take time. Find out who they are. Go into that soberly. To those who are almost married, I would say, uh, 
continue, and I would say this actually to those who are married, continue to seek your spouse, right? If you're almost married or you're married, don't ever stop dating. I know some guys used to joke one time where I've got a license, right? She's got to stay with me. I've got a license. I've got a piece of paper. She's not going anywhere. I don't have to work out. I don't have to shower as often, right? I've already gone through the process. And don't stop dating. There is a reason. There is a reason. You sought this one. All on the planet Earth, the billions of people here, this one. This is a, this one. This one made you get down on one knee. This one, you said yes. Don't stop seeking her. You know, and I would set this challenge before you. Do your best, right? Especially if you've been married for for quite a lengthy time. I would I would challenge you. Go go do your best to relive your first date. And if that one wasn't a good date, relive the first good date, right? <laughs> Just gonna say that, all right? I set that challenge. You know, God is full of grace and God delights. God delights, right, when we, we seek each other in marriage. And I know, I know we live in a world that is broken. I know that that, that some of you have, have, have worked through the hardship and the, the difficulty of divorce. But I know God is a God who redeems. God is a God who brings out of ash, right? beautiful things. He makes beautiful things. God desires that we come and we repent and we trust Him. Right? And some of us have been just been harmed and we've been hurt. But trust Him. God is a God full of grace and mercy. And so I would challenge those who maybe this morning you've been married a little long, yet you're thinking about giving in or giving up. I'll just challenge you to seek the Lord. You know, the thought of you know looking at all these illustrations of marriage and divorce, you know, preparing for this message, and you come across these ones where where the wife was had her fill, and you could use you know any it was would work either way. And she goes to a, to a counselor and she says, "I really I want to hurt my husband. I want to hurt him." Counselor says, well, this is how, you know, you, if you want to divorce him, then, then this is how you hurt him. You go, take the next month or two and just uh, praise him, delight him, encourage him. Because then he has this false sense of security. Then when you want to divorce him, then you can really stick it to him. The wife comes back after a month or so, and the counselor sees him, oh, how are things going? She says, oh, yeah, it's, it's going. I've been doing it. You ready to divorce him? And she learns, no, I love my husband. I never think of divorcing. See, isn't that the circle? That's why we seek each other, right? Seek the Lord. We seek our spouse. And you're more consumed with pursuing your spouse and the other, likewise. Why would you think to look to any other? So, Christian, right? Stay strong. Trust the Lord. Follow after Him. Continue to pray. Right? And know, if you're here this morning, you've been through a hard patch on this, God has grace. God has grace. God loves His children. He desires we would come and seek Him. That's who He is. Let's pray this morning.